found like the last hour of this production really tedious and boring. Me too, uh, except I also found the first production half of this production that way. No, that was a little hard. Uh, I didn't find it as bad, but I did find by the midpoint I was like, just end, just die already. But so anyway, so when I when it started, I think this happened when during the Player King speech, I just started getting bored because it's the Player King speech. So I tweeted <laughs> So I tweeted out to people, what's your least favorite part of Hamlet? Like, what is the part that you always fall asleep during and wish could wish wasn't there or dread having come up? Um, and so I got a bunch of responses. A lot of people said the Player King, and if they said that, I made them give a second a runner-up. Uh, <laughs> um, a few people said the Gravedigger because they were like, that's just an excuse for bad com- Shakespearean comic acting. But my favorite was... Not only did several people say Osric, but some people couldn't remember the character's name. They just knew that they hated him. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that was Caitlin, actually. Caitlin was like, that's servant scene. And I was like, in Act 5? And she said, yeah. And then eventually she remembered it was Osric. And anyway, several people were saying, oh, God, I hate Osric so much. So when Osric showed up in this, my first reaction was, oh, actually, I remember this actor. I liked him in Cymbeline. Um, he's actually pretty good. And then the scene went by really quickly, and I went, oh, wow, they cut most of the Osric scene. Kudos. They cut a lot of both. They cut, um, I mean, they combined that character, Osric and Ronaldo, right? And yeah. And they definitely cut, but also <laughs> he was just hilarious, and I just appreciated him. Like, um, when he was trying to figure out what the fuck to do, because Hamlet's, like, talking about being cold and then not cold and stuff, and he's putting on his hat and taking it off, and mm-hmm. he's just trying to play this game, and he's so confused, and he, like, puts the hat back on, he's like, brr, like, <laughs> like, he was just like, what is happening right now? Like, I never signed up for this. Like, I just come mm-hmm. to work, and I look good. And I appreciated him. He was a much more sympathetic Osric than many Yeah. Yeah. I think somebody was saying, they were like, God, I hate the Osric scene, and I realize Shakespeare only put it there to give Hamlet a rest. Or it's for the people who are sad that Polonius isn't around for them to laugh at anymore. I mean, one thing that I did see that I really liked was in the production I saw of Hamlet at um, Santa Cruz Shakespeare, they actually did a really neat thing with Osric, which was that Hamlet in all of the... Like, at the beginning, Hamlet is sparring with Claudius and sparring with Polonius, and you see Hamlet have all of this, like, real dominance on stage, both physically and also because the actress that they cast as Hamlet was just so charismatic. She just took over from everyone. And what was interesting to me was by the time she got to sparring with Osric, like, you really got the sense that she's sparring with, like, the gravedigger, and then she's sparring with Osric, and it's like... She's gone a step down. She went from sparring with the people in power to sparring with nobody and just giving nobody a hard time. And I'd never seen it that way before. That works. Yeah. And and it does fit with how Hamlet has really gone a step down, too, in a much more serious way by going from not even wanting to kill Claudius without proof to killing Rosencrantz and Guildenstern offhandedly, almost like make, inventing an excuse to do so, almost. Um. Well, you were talking earlier about how the last half dragged, and I'm wondering if I want to um, 
be self-indulgent there and, and suggest that that might partly be because of Gertrude's terrible delivery of the uh, of her speech about <laughs> Ophelia's drowning. Oh but... god, that was so bad. Okay, I'll admit it was weird. It it was just weird in that I it was delivered so strangely in comparison to everything else that she'd done that I was wondering if the production was trying to go for a she's pretending to be sad about this, but like actually secretly they had Ophelia killed type of thing. But then, you know, the production didn't do anything else to support that. It felt yes. super like she was putting on this performance and I was really it confused. Did. I that was it was weird. I was hoping people would have insight, but I guess the insight is just going to be that people disliked it. Sounds like. Well, there is a tradition of interpreting it as her making up a story, but out of caring for Ophelia, so so that she won't be buried without Christian burial. But what her, but if it was indeed that what they were trying to do didn't work for me I, I I kind of agreed that it was a performance but the motivation for the performance wasn't clear and I didn't understand why she kept hugging the back wall unless she was afraid that we would see her underwear through her wet clothes or something and yeah it was strange motivation was super unclear I liked that she was wet it was an interesting choice but again, I didn't really quite understand why. Are we supposed to think that Gertrude jumped in to the stream to pull Ophelia out? In which case, she's not making it up. And it's or did she push her in? And and I thought of that too. But it's just I just couldn't understand it. Yeah. And maybe she just maybe Ophelia actually like put a gun to her head, and it was really gross, and the blood got all over Gertrude, and she had to take a shower. <laughs> another interpretation that has absolutely no support because that moment made no sense but if you find yourself having to speculate and construct these elaborate narratives to explain what's going on on stage there's something wrong with what's going on on stage i'm sure i could come up with something even more ridiculous i bet you could i'm i have great admiration for your creativity but, yeah, I mean, that's a difficult speech. It's a difficult monologue to give. Uh, it's kind of a test. <laughs> um, okay, shifting gears a bit. I wanted to talk a bit about um, Papa Siedu's performance of Hamlet. Like, we sort of touched on it a bit, but I feel like there's more to say. Um, and so I just wanted to sort of can you really you... say more than dirtbag teenage Hamlet? I mean, doesn't that just sum it all up, really? I think that was an insult, though, from M.A. No, it wasn't. <gasps> oh, no, was it? Oh, I took okay. it as a compliment. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> I So I felt that S.E.A.D.'s performance was limited in the sense that I felt like he kept going back to the same emotional well. But I felt that when it worked, like it really worked, and at yeah. least it was coherent. In the sense that from scene one, you really got a sense of who this guy was. And this is someone who's just, who is physically having difficulty containing the emotions. He made it his own. I think, as in, he felt like a person that I was watching on stage, not like, yet another actor tackling Hamlet, yes. <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> like, I... 
I kind of hate famous lines in Shakespeare, right? Because every time they're coming up, you're just like, oh no, they have to say the line that we all know, whether it's Alas, poor York, I knew a Mauricio, or to be or not to be. And you're like, this, you know, it's it's kind of terrible <laughs> because because there's this thing when you go to the theater to see this story and maybe suspend your disbelief in certain kinds of theater. And you can't do that when you're like, oh, I know what they're saying. And so does everyone else. But, but I think he did a really good job of making me feel like he was a three-dimensional person who existed outside of, you know, the world of how is this one going to play Hamlet? He was so beautifully emotive he um he just had a lot of emotion and passion and and I did think it was nuanced and varied like I said earlier and he's beautiful <laughs> and uh would this, really be, would this be an appropriate time to talk about his um portrayal as a as a visual artist if you want to call that or him choosing to play the role of the the visual artist or yeah sure Okay, well, he is beautiful, absolutely. Uh, no questions there. I loved, uh, and uh, and this is more about, about maybe the director and the production design than it is about his characterization, but they, they fit together, obviously. But I just loved the decision to have him start Act 2 kind of in his... I don't know, his his teenage basement bedroom slash art studio that he has totally trashed with this ridiculous stuff that I'm not sure if we're supposed to take him seriously as an artist. Uh, certainly take him serious as a vandal, take him seriously as a vandal when he's up there, you know, spray painting um, the portrait of the king and queen. But it not only works well in terms of um, conveying the the passage of time between Act 1 and Act 2, but it just does such a great job of reinforcing Hamlet's creativity and the way that he draws on that creativity but also exploits it to um, keep Claudius and everybody else off balance and unsettled. And... I've always understood that Hamlet was acting mad because it it allowed him to attack Polonius and sort of indulge some of his rage and get away with it and at the same time, you know, raise enough doubts about what it, whether he's a threat that people would leave him alone and let him live long enough to find out why, you know, whether whether Claudius was guilty or not, but but this really showed him as uh, his creativity. Instead of just seeing his creativity in his um, in his ability to kind of improvise and his ability to, to write new lines for a play, I'm not saying necessarily that it shows him as being brilliantly talented as an artist, but just... That's just part of the the pressure that he's under, and maybe why he loved being at school so much is that he 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 wants to be creative, and it, and it gave him a way of um, maybe uh, channeling his his hostility in a way that was both kind of 
productive. I think one of the, the thing that I really, really loved about um, Papa Siegi's performance, well, two things. One is I thought his line readings were just really terrific. Um, yes. I just, I felt like he found, <laughs> and he's going to disagree with me in a, in a minute. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> but I, I just found that um, he found really interesting new rhythms for the way he delivered a lot of a lot of things and just new ways of um, saying them that to me felt really, really modern. And I really, really, really appreciated that. The other thing that I thought was really remarkable about his performance was his hand acting. I thought his hand acting was really terrific. In fact, I spent a, a chunk of it wondering if he had ever sprained his fingers while during this performance. And so the context for this is... When Emma and I were watching productions at the Victoria and Albert uh, Performance Archive, we happened to watch two productions, one of Ben Wishaw's Hamlet, and then also we saw the beginning of the Henry the all-female Henry IV at the Donmar. And in both of them, somebody had a finger and a wrist, finger and a splint. Ben <gasps> Wishaw had his finger in oh. a splint, and then I think, it, I don't remember who it was that had a finger in, in the splint. In. Was it Hotspur? I think it might have been Hotspur. Okay, anyway. Wow. Hotspur was amazing. Uh, it was just like, oh. Cause, and both of those got, both of those were had like really amazing hand acting. And I thought Papa Siedu had such expressive hands that I did wonder like if he had ever sprained his fingers in the process. <laughs> but yeah, I thought he was just terrific. And where his performance Anytime that I felt like his performance wasn't at its top, I didn't feel like it was him. I felt it was the production that was letting him down, that there just wasn't enough to play off of. And so anything that was going on, some things just needed more context. And so there there were scenes that I felt didn't work too well or certain scenes or interpretations that didn't work. But I don't think that was him at all. I think that was entirely the fault of the production and you know, missing gaps in the other characters and not giving him something to uh, play off of. Unlike, say, Benedict Cumberbatch, who also had that problem, but was also, how many ticks can I cram into this performance? That This was not a problem. I completely agree with you about the fresh line readings. There were so many times where I just found myself thinking, I never heard that before. I never thought again, that there was humor in that line, all the ways that he found the humor and convinced me that it had always been there in the text, but I had never realized it until he found it. I'm obliged now to disagree. Again, I want to emphasize that I actually liked this performance. (laughs) Well, I liked his performance. I was not keen on the performance as a whole. But, like, the thing that stopped me from loving it is that you... I felt like... There was a tonal sameness sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd see him reaching for the humor and you'd be like, oh yeah, I understand how you found that joke. It's pretty much the same tone of voice you had ten lines ago. You know? And I felt like... This is a guy who's overflowing with emotions, who's having so much difficulty containing them, and yet uh-huh. all he's expressing is one or two notes. I felt like there was a lot going on behind the eyes that I wasn't getting access to. And that was frustrating for me. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Again, I think that this has more to do with the production than him. I think it's just like he didn't have enough to play off of because Claudius and Gertrude were so weak. And Polonius was kind of problematic. 
Um, and so that just didn't give him much to work with. So sometimes when he has emotions, it's like, well, where, what's anchoring them and what are you playing off of? And so I, I guess that kind of hampered it from being, like, I, I wouldn't necessarily call him like a David Tennant Hamlet, you know, like, but David Tennant had so much more to play off of. And so that allowed him to create a really layered performance. And the same was true of Rory Kinnear that... I think the world there that, that were created in both of those productions was so much more coherent and rich that they had so much backing them up that they were able to find huge amounts of nuance. And that nuance made sense because we understood the context. And I feel like it wasn't Asiedu's fault that there were problems with the context in the production. So the one thing I would say about like the Guardian review that I just claimed before was racist is I mean, one thing it said in it was that in five years, there is a 99.9% probability that um, he's going to be a major star. And I would say, oh, oh hell yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, Noemi, you said that you thought his performance was really nuanced, and I'd like to hear more about that. I think that despite what you're mentioning about the lack of nuance in the other characters in the world that he did a really beautiful nuanced job I think he's one of the best Hamlets that I've seen and I think that in certain moments where he had maybe similar tones and certain types of humor it's because people use you know humor often as like a coping mechanism or a way to deal with it in a manner that is almost routine and that's how I saw that Mm. also because he did put so much more humor than you see in most Hamlets it was engaging it was refreshing he's incredibly charismatic and Mm -hmm. completely accessible when it comes to his Mm -hmm. emotions I just bought his emotional journey completely even if as I said earlier you know Ophelia is way better Mm -hmm. than him she's way more mature than him he believably depicts that sort of youthful trying to figure out his way Mm -hmm. this naivete Mm -hmm. this really beautiful performance where he changes throughout the course of the story and you see him grow and fuck up and not necessarily grow in good ways, but but you see that transformation, and I was with him. I'm with him. Hashtag. <laughs> you guys know what I mean. I'm not a Donald be, Trump fan, to be clear. Could it be fair to say that this these one or two notes repeated that you're noticing, M.A., are more in the scenes where he is performing where hamlet is performing for other characters than in the soliloquies or did you notice did you feel that way about his soliloquies as well i did feel that way about his soliloquies and it seems like i didn't feel a sense of difference between his interiority and his exteriority if that makes any sense it's like in the scenes when he's supposed to be talking to the audience i didn't feel a difference between the scenes when he's talking to other characters Am I, is this clear? Like, I felt like there wasn't, I wasn't getting access to something that everybody else couldn't see. I never, I never felt like I was missing that, but okay. (laughs) I mean, I'm in the minority here and all of us, even the one who did not like the play period, liked his performance. So I think that says a lot more than my quibbling. 
It's gracious of you to say that. I'm I'm not being dismissive. No, no, no. It's like sometimes people are wrong, and I have a feeling I may be wrong on this one. I don't think people are wrong. I think it's a difference of opinion, and I think our quibbling is what makes this entire podcast hopefully interesting. Um, okay, so with that, I think I want to make a transition to talking about um, this is a recorded production, and it's curated information loss, and whether or not that was curated well. And I think the first thing that I want to touch on with that is, I think I got the sense, well, I completely agree that he, that Du is really charismatic, even on screen. I, I kind of have the impression he might be way, way more charismatic in person. Oh, so yeah. I'm wondering, Leslie, <laughs> can you speak to that? Um, absolutely. Sitting in that audience, um, the moment he walked on stage, I was mesmerized, and I never, I never lost that. He he was every eye in the theater uh, was on him. Uh, he just uh, there was a vitality and an intensity to his performance, and he he filled the space and was was completely engaging and and i wish i could point to something tangible and objective and scientific to demonstrate that and i can't i mean i guess to me this this is one of the major problems with recorded theater and i think you don't really fully understand it until you see the same actor recorded and the same actor live so this is sort of my experience with Rory Kinnear. Like I mostly I had I had seen him do all kinds of Shakespeare recorded theater and I thought he was an incredibly talented amazing actor. And then I saw him live. And when I saw him live, it was just it was transformative. It was like I knew he was crazy talented, but now that I've seen him live, I can see how he is just insanely charismatic. This guy has so much stage presence. It's crazy. You know, like, if you look at him on screen, he's, he's you know, like a pretty regular-looking guy. And his charisma levels, even, are, are fairly, like, regular. Like, you wouldn't necessarily assume that if you were in a room with him, you wouldn't be able to look at anybody else. But you see him on stage, you literally cannot look at anybody else. And it doesn't matter what he's doing or if he's in the background, you cannot take your eyes off him. He's just that magnetic. And I kind of had the impression that that might have been one of the things that we were losing in this recording, that I found Asiedu really magnetic, but I felt like, I think even just like the interview that he had at the beginning, I thought, wow, this guy is super charismatic. I bet in person he is insanely charismatic. Well, and this ties back to uh, what we were talking earlier in terms of what the camera is recording and what it isn't. Because in Act 1, Scene 2, when Hamlet is not anywhere near Claudius and isn't doing anything obvious to attract attention or doing anything obvious to merit the camera's attention, when you're in the theater with him, no matter where he is on stage, you know he's there. He's, it's like this, this magnet that uh, it keeps pulling you away from where you feel your attention is supposed to be going. And I think that this production used that that really well. And the other thing I was thinking about with as part of the Swan Theater is, I mean, it's a thrust stage, but it has, I don't know what they're called. There's like these diagonal 
bits of stage with people. The vomitoriums, the where they sort of can exit and enter through those diagonal parts that are quite going to the audience, the voms. The voms, yes. Why are they um, called vomitoria? Comes from the ancient Roman practice of having places where you could go, yeah, throw up during a feast, yeah. <laughs> so, or you can just call them aisles if you want, but. Yeah, so I mean, one of the things that I I first experienced from actually being in the Swan Theater that I never experienced from watching productions that were recorded there is how much happens on the VOMs. And because the way that the audience is, is seated, like when I was there, I was sitting downstage, like in the second row in the center. And you can like hear the people running onto stage and you can like feel them moving. And so when people enter and exit, you can really feel them like the movement. There's so much energy that you just don't ever get whatsoever on screen. And I, and I suspected at least with that, and I don't know how well it was done in this production, but that that might've helped give you a sense of the surveillance state, which I didn't really feel too much in the recording, and I don't know if this was something that occurred at all in the production, but just the sense of, like, the way that people keep appearing on stage and you, like, never know who's coming and where they're coming from, which I can imagine may have been part of the experience of seeing it live, but I would never have gotten from the recording. One of the things that's interesting about the design of that theater is how um, low down you are relative to the stage, and how small the slope is of the of the auditorium so that the action that's happening on the voms say to my left uh, is not only happening in a way that it you know it's it's behind me and I'm always you know what's going on behind me what's going on over there it's also happening at shoulder level or at at at, um, at eye level it's so physically very um the the proximity physically was something that i was very aware of i mean i've been to productions at the swan before but i had um this production really made me feel that the actors were in the same space as my body and not always but not always in a safe way yeah i mean i guess i wondered because I felt, because they actually do live music there, and you're pretty close to the live music, it's, and I know, I think, Emma, you were mentioning the sound design. When you see it live there, the sound design is just, it's really visceral, and the music is really, like, you you can just, f- like, feel it, and you can, like, feel the vibrating, and I would imagine you could sort of feel the vibrating of the drums, and so I feel like, I suspect that there was a huge amount of just, like physical engagement with with this production just even in the way that they dimmed the lights and where the color of the lights came in and then the people moving in and off and the drums that I can imagine because I've been to the theater but really didn't come across on the in the recording and I would never even consider it if I hadn't been to the theater visceral is a, is a good word it, it definitely was even like when the when the sentry box rises out of the stage, it, I did feel like it was towering above me um, in a way that was very uh, physically intimidating. I think there's things you lose and things you gain, mostly things you lose. Mm-hmm. And I was really bothered that 
the camera angle they chose for part of the Polonius Hamlet scene meant that Hamlet's last Accept My Life was completely not visible because <sighs> his head was being blocked. Um, his face was being blocked by Polonius's head. And there were some moments, you know, where I really astutely felt what I was lacking. One moment that I will say was really nice in terms of um, having the camera was in the funeral scene, the way it sort of rose above and you saw that like beautiful mm-hmm. triangular formation of people, but you could also sort of see down into the grave and see Ophelia. It's a moment when you can do something cool with the camera and really give us that sense of the full look of the um, choreography of the of the stage picture. But mostly I missed people and I also missed sound because there was mm. a lot of sort of um, moments where all of a sudden one character would start speaking and it was clear that there wasn't a microphone over there. And, you know, Laertes would start speaking Aww. and I would like, I can't hear anything he's saying. So that the sound mm-hmm. sort of faded in and out. Well, I mean, I I didn't see the film, but it sounds like the camera never moved. Is that right? Was it a static camera? Oh no, no. Oh, oh okay. No, it. I and mean, it, it, go ahead. They just they mostly showed the characters who were talking and their faces. They did right. a good job of showing clear pictures of the people who were speaking, mostly. Yeah, and not. You couldn't always see the blocking. Right. And Shakespeare's plays aren't just aren't written for that kind of a close-up. <laughs> yeah, people who film stuff tend to fall in love with a close-up when it's like... Yes. There's so much information loss. I mean, I didn't find there was a problem with the acting quality in, in the close-up, but there were there was a lot of, I feel like there are things that I'm just not seeing. And I think I hadn't fully... You get a sense of this, but I think the the really big problem with recorded theater for me is that you almost, you have no idea what you're missing. You know that you're missing something, but you don't know what you're missing. And when I saw the recording of Richard III with Ray Fiennes at the Almeida, I just spent the whole time going, I loved the blocking, you can't see any of it. Half of what I loved about this production, you can't see in this recording. And you would never know that you were missing it because you can't even see enough to know that you're missing what you're missing. Mm. And I'm not familiar with that production, either live or on film, but it sounds like something very similar is going on here. Yeah, I don't think it was as bad with not showing the blocking, but there were definitely scenes like Act 1, Scene 2, which was a problem. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts, M.A., about what you feel was missing or what you couldn't see or what was lost in the recording? No, Honestly, our perennial complaint with this is that we miss out on the blocking, and it's amazing how that's our perennial complaint because every production does it. Like, I'd rather miss out on some facial expressions. Is this because the people who are hired to do the camera work aren't trained in a the Shakespearean tradition? Are they just do we just not have people who who understand that kind of theater? behind the cameras or is it I think it's a bunch of things I'm sure that's I'm sure that's I'm sure that's part of it I think perhaps an even bigger part is it's boring if you were to set up a camera so that you could see all of the blocking all the time which is mostly basically what a static camera 
it's boring. I mean, I have watched productions with three angles, which is basically what the Hamlet with Ben Wishaw and Rory Kinnear's Laertes was, and also what like a lot of the productions that are in the V&A recording performance archive, which are, you know, they're just there for research purposes, and they are boring to watch. Like they, even if they're amazing, I kept falling asleep during Hamlet, and they had to keep waking me up. And it wasn't even that Hamlet was boring. It's just, you're watching it on this small screen. There's like three angles. It just gets boring to watch. Even if the performances are amazing and the production is amazing and it's intellectually challenging, it's just, it's just boring. And I think part of what they're trying to do with close-ups is they're trying to say, okay, well, we're using the language of cinema and it would be boring to watch to be able to see the entire stage. That's one thing. The other thing is I don't think cameras are high enough resolution to be able to show the whole stage and allow you to see what's going on. That makes sense. I think you'd kind of need like 3D plus much higher resolution in order to get something resembling the experience without it being boring. So I that's that's really what I think is when they're doing these live captures, they're really trying to make them more interesting for mm-hmm. a theater for an audience watching them um, and try and capture some of the mood and tone of the production. The Globe does this less well because the Globe is kind of like, they actually show you a lot of the blocking. They're sort of like wide shot, close up, wide shot, close up, wide shot, close up. It's really quite boring the way it's shot. But the Globe blocking has really deteriorated since they started filming their productions. They treat it like a proscenium stage. Yeah, and and that's kind of how it's shot. But you do at least get a sense, because they just keep cutting between wide shot and close up and maybe reaction shot, you do get a better sense of the blocking in those recordings than you do in any of the other live captures that I've seen. But if you sit there and think about it at all, you're like, oh, wow, it's three shots. This is boring. Okay, uh, that is the end of this episode of the 21st Folio. Uh, I am your host, Alex Heaney, the editor-in-chief of The Seventh Row. You can find me on Twitter at bwestcineast, that's B-W-E-S-T-C-I-N-E-A-S-T-E. My guests today are Mariangela Rowe. I'm Mariangela Rowe. I'm a contributor to Seventh Row and 21st Folio, and you can find me on Twitter at lapsedvictorian. And Noemi Berkowitz. Hi, I'm Noemi Berkowitz. I'm an actor and director based in Berlin. And you can find me on Twitter at Noemi Ola, N-O-E-M-I-O-L-A. And I'm Leslie Peterson, and I teach Shakespeare at the University of North Alabama. And I perform and attend and do whatever else I can, Shakespearean, every chance I get. Thank you. That's the end of this episode of the 21st Folio. Check for new episodes discussing new Shakespeare productions every Monday and Friday. To keep up with the latest episodes, subscribe to the 21st Folio podcast on iTunes. For show notes and more information about the podcast, please visit 7th-row.com. That's S-E-V-E-N-T-H-R-O-W.com.